We'll be taking a look this morning at a, at a passage in the Gospel of John as we have been walking along and hearing this, this man who walked in the path of Jesus, walked literally side by side with Jesus as he reflects back on it and he makes his appeal, an appeal to us, an appeal he repeats over and over and over again that we would believe. That we would come to see Jesus as the person that he really is, the son of God and the bringer of life. And so we, we come to a text this morning, though, with a, a little bit different logic, a little bit different argument. And so I hope for you to join with me as we consider the claims that he makes here in this passage. So I'll read from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Father, you have claimed that Jesus is the good shepherd, the shepherd who can lead us and guide us and protect us into the life that you have planned for us. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would work in our particular minds and hearts and lives this morning to see what it is that blocks us from seeing you as you really are, the shepherd of the sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, it is the season of uh, Christmas lists, right? And uh, if you can remember being a, a kid and, and thinking of all of the toys in the world, right? All of the, the things and goods of the world. What is it that you want for Christmas? Maybe you, uh, you were like me and, and you got like the, the big giant Toys R Us catalog back when there was still a Toys R Us, right? And you, you flip through the pages circling those items that, that stood out to you. Uh, maybe you uh, are a, a little more recent, right? You wrote a letter maybe to Santa or, or you gave a list that you snuck in front of your parents or, or grandparents, right? This recently, though, uh, as my perspectives on this has changed a little bit, right? Because now I have these little ones of my own. And, uh, and I start to receive the lists and not just make them myself, right? And, and you see some of the things that they will list by name, these toys and uh, colorful uh, contraptions, right? These things that they can build and play with, things that they are convinced are utterly beautiful and wonderful and good. And you look at it and you go, how do I tell them that this is just a bunch of crap, Right? You see the thing on there, and you're like, no, I believe me, kid, I remember, I remember this. Like, you, you see this commercial on the TV, and it looks so awesome, right? But what you don't, you don't remember as a kid is when it says, you know, accessories not included, right? And, and the thing you watched on the screen was $900 worth of accessories that you won't receive with it, right? I remember there was this... Um, remote-controlled car, right, that I, I found in the catalog, and it was like a full-page spread in the, in the advertisement, and it, it, it looked so cool. It was like, you know, sliding to the side, and it had the neon lights coming behind so you could see how fast and how cool this remote-controlled car was, and so I circled it and highlighted it and put exclamation points by it, right, to be sure that Grandma would notice what it is that I wanted for Christmas, and I remember coming Christmas Day coming and, and receiving this toy and, and tearing open the paper and being so excited and pulling it out of the box and realizing that there was a wire that connected the remote-controlled car to the remote. There's a, like, two-fleet wire that tied me to the car. So well, to make this car run, I had to run alongside the car, right, driving it. Like, I might as well have just, like, tied a, a rope to, to any of the cars at my house and just pulled it behind me, right? It could have been the same effect. The advertisement claimed it to be so good and so beautiful, right? Because all it cared about was making me making the initial purchase. But time and life have a way of disproving the claims of being good. You grow up, right? And you see the advertisements, uh, maybe not for cars, but of, of politicians, right? And they're glamorous and they're glorious, right? They're, they're hope or change you can believe in or they're make America great. There's these uh, lists of promises that sound so good and beautiful and yet we know them not to be true, right? Like you know that no politician has ever once lived up to their promises. No politician has ever been as good as they say they are, and life with them is never as good as they want us to believe. Because the claim of good 
The promise of good is something that's so easy to claim on the front end, but it's nearly impossible to deliver on. We come to this text today, and Jesus has been making appeals to the people in all sorts of variety and manner of of claiming, look at what I have done and, and how I am in lockstep with the Father. Look at the things that I've done and how they fulfill and enhance and beautify the law of our forefathers. Look at what I have done and how the blind have received sight, how the deaf can hear. But here Jesus makes another appeal and he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd that can lead you to a good life, a life that is abundant and a life that is full. It's a kind of claim that in a world of broken promises, we hear with a, a, a bit of a chip on our shoulder. We hear him claim it will be good and beautiful, but our gut reaction is to go, but it won't be that good. It can't really be that beautiful. Because we've heard the promises of good before, but the promises of good are easily undone by life and time and space. And yet it is still here on this point, this so easily disproven point that Jesus stakes the claim of his divinity. It is upon this promise that he is good, that our experience with him will be so good that he makes it his apologetic, his argument, his case, test and see if the Lord is good. And so in a world of broken promises, we are asked to consider his claim. What I want us to do this morning is I want to look at three reasons why our jaded hearts tend to hear Jesus' claim of being the good shepherd as being somewhat less than good. right? Why is it that when we hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, I have come that you have life and have it abundantly, why in our brains we, we take that lofty claim and we knock it down a few notches to something more manageable, to something that is less embarrassing, to something that we would dare say out loud. And so I want us to look at three things that are going on in us as we hear these claims of Jesus. The first is, is the first reason that we can't fathom that Jesus is as good as he says he is, is because we have not yet experienced a life free from darkness. We've not experienced a life that's free from the the brokenness, free from the things that jade us and disillusion us and disappoint us. Jesus uses here uh, one of the great imageries throughout all of scripture, really, this world of sheep. All right, and he uses it because these, these animals are both very common and, and ordinary in the area, but also they're just so beautiful, right? So peaceful. They're the kind of things like when you look at an infant baby and you go, well, that's the life, right? All you got to do is, is lie there and sleep and eat, right? Someone comes and attends to the waste. Someone comes and brings uh, nourishment. Someone comes and holds you when you're sad. That's the life. And sheep aren't fall off, right? Their lives are beautifully simple. They walk among the, the hills and the grass, and they, they feed as they will. They have a shepherd that leads them and, and takes them to water and, and cares for them and provides for them. 
They live in a deadly, perilous world. You, you heard this even as I read it, right? Strangers and thieves and wolves that come to destroy, but, but they seem to be completely impervious to the threats that surround them. And Jesus tells, his, tells his, those who are listening that I am the good shepherd, that you can have this life of good, but we can't seem to fathom that that's the case. Jesus, when he says, I can lead you and you can be a sheep like a sheep in my flock, we think, well, that sounds cute. And that sounds quaint. That sounds nice. But, but can it really be real? Can it really be true? Because it, it seems like life is always somehow, some way where we're on our own. That somehow that beautiful, simple life it leads into deadly, perilous situations, situations where we're not anxiety-free, but situations where we must fight tooth and nail to exist. Indeed, when, when the hearers of this heard this text, there is uh, almost a certain likelihood that they would be reflecting on these passages in the Old Testament, not just of, of God saying that he was the good shepherd, but of God lambasting those shepherds, the leaders, the caretakers of his people for their lack of shepherding. Ezekiel 34 is perhaps one of the strongest and most fervent in this, where, where God, through the prophet Ezekiel, lamb blasts these priests and these teachers of the law. He lamb blasts those who ought to be taking care of the sheep. And he says this, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, and they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search. Or to seek for them. We've not known a life where this wasn't true in some way or form or fashion. Where I stand in front of you is, is, is one of these figures, right? Who, is, who ought to be called a, a, a shepherd. One who provides the care and the, the pasture land. Who leads people into wholeness. I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a caretaker of my children, right? A, a place and, and, and where my kids ought to experience life and flourishing, where they ought to see their needs being attended to. And, and while I long for you and I long for my children to hear mercy and grace in the tone of my voice, what I'm quite certain my kids know of is, is anger in the tone of my voice. What I'm 100% sure of is that my kids, in the tone of my voice, they hear not just grace and mercy, but there are plenty of situations where they hear harshness and bitterness, where they can hear the tone of my voice as I demand things out of jealousy or frustration or resentment. You see, we have not known a pastor who is not in some way like these shepherds that we find in Ezekiel. 
the places that ought to be safe, the places where we ought to see uh, justice and truth, we see pride and greed and lust and hate. And for some of us, church, the people who stand up front and claim to know the most about Jesus are the people who have taken advantage of you the worst. The leaders in your home that ought to have provided safety brought bitterness and anger and frustration. You can't conceive that a good God really is, that Jesus really is the good shepherd because you've not seen one yet. Jesus, Jesus acknowledges this much in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, he says. See, in this text, uh, there, Jesus, when we get to the new heavens and new earth, maybe one of you guys can take up this beef with Jesus, okay? He keeps switching the metaphor on us, right? They're all set in this uh, land of a shepherd and a sheep and, and flocks and pens, but he keeps changing uh, who he is. And so for most of this text, Jesus says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd in the metaphor. But here in this section, starting in verse 7, uh, Jesus switches the claim and he says, I'm not the, the shepherd. He says, I'm the door. I'm the gate. I'm the entryway into the fence. And Jesus says, uh, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And you see, the door, the, 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 the pen of the sheep it works both ways, right? It, inside of its enclosure is safety. There's a fence. There's someone who stands to protect at the door to, to keep away threats that would come to harm. But life locked inside the pen is not a full life. And so a gate that operates properly doesn't just protect from harm, but it, it, it opens up to the green pastures. It opens up to a life of food and plenty and beauty uh, where once are fulfilled and, and life can be lived. Jesus in this text is claiming, I am the good shepherd not just am I not like those other shepherds who failed and who took advantage and exploited. He says, I am the shepherd who leads you into the very context for flourishing, protection, freedom, where there is uh, safety and where there is abundance of food. Yet many of us hear Jesus' claims as people who have only been cooped up and locked away spiritually in a box where we can't see the goodness of life or we've been left and abandoned out in the cold and the rain not knowing the protection and the security of a God who loves us. And so we've not known the freedom from darkness because we've not known the one who can free us from darkness. But Jesus claims to be he. Secondly, we've not known... Not only have, have we doubted Jesus' words because uh, we're jaded by our experience of darkness, but also because we've not known the extent of God's goodness. We've not known the extent of God's goodness. Jesus, in this metaphor, he, he goes on to this, this long explanation that he is the, the shepherd, right? And he sets this up as a... A contradiction. He's he's a shepherd and not a, a hired hand, right? And he paints the picture that the hired hand is is just there for the the hourly wages, right? The 
the, the hired hand is, is just there with the sheep because he must be with the sheep to get his paycheck. And so he builds some familiarity with these animals. He, he leads them and he does what he's supposed to do. But he doesn't actually care about the sheep. He doesn't care if they flourish. He doesn't care if they get fat. He doesn't care if they're neglected or scared. He doesn't care if they're afraid. He's just there, there to fill the time and the space. But Jesus says uh, when that wolf comes around the corner, right, when the pack of wolves come hungry for the sheep, he will look at those wolves and he will look at the sheep and he'll say, I'm out of here, right? There's nothing in this for me. I don't care if the wolves ultimately get the sheep. I'm much more concerned about me. But Jesus says, uh, Jesus says, though I am, I am the shepherd. Because you see, the shepherd sees the threat approaching, right? But the shepherd sees the threat approaching, and he doesn't run away, but he runs too. Because he's far more concerned about what happens to the sheep than to himself. He loves the sheep. The goodness of the shepherd is found in his care and his compassion. And that above all else, even to the point of his very own life, he cares about the well-being and flourishing of those animals. It's an amazing and beautiful picture, especially for those of us who have only known people who care about us only in the good times and not in the heartache. For some of us, it's hard to even imagine what a shepherd would be, someone who actually cared enough about us to come running to us in our need and not just to, to share in our gladness. But that's only the first half. The first half is Jesus saying, I am, uh, I'm not like the hired hand. I'm like the shepherd who actually cares and actually loves. But then he goes on. He goes on because he says the, the, the picture is not complete because, you see, the shepherd is willing to lay down his life. The shepherd is willing in a circumstance, in an environment, to, to, to respond in such a way that he protects the life. But that circumstance is very rare, right? It's not common for the wolf pack, pack of wolves to come hunting the sheep. It is very unlikely that the shepherd will be put in such a scenario, but Jesus Jesus is quite the opposite. For this reason, the Father loves me, he says in verse 17, because I lay down my life that I may take it up. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. You see, Jesus didn't just see a, a pack of wolves coming towards us. His goodness is not just that he is willing, if need be, to stand in the way of the wolves. The love of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus is that he saw that the wolves were having their way with the sheep. And he said, I will be the one who will go stand in their stead. I will be the one who goes and stands and, be, and is devoured by the wolves. Jesus doesn't end up giving his life by an accident or fluke of chance. But Jesus' goodness is so profound that he planned this, that he designed this, that he engineers a way that he could give you the gift of life. Jesus is so jealous 
for good life to come our way. That he would plot to go and stand in our stead. When we see the forces of darkness, death, loneliness, sickness, fear. Sometimes we, as we sit here and and as we look at a Christmas alone and a celebration that's not the way we want it to be, we revert back to this jaded perspective. And we say, yet again, the promise of good has failed because look at the pain and the sorrow that I feel in this moment. Jesus has left us to the wolves, if you will. And yet, if we look at the situation, if we could zoom out from the spot, what we would see more clearly is that Jesus comes at the Advent. Jesus comes at Christmas precisely to join us in such a fight. But we can't fathom the extent of God's goodness because we've never known a goodness like that. Third, we've not known a life that could possibly be anything described as free from darkness. We've not known someone who loves us to the extent that Jesus does. But third, we have not yet known what good really even is. You see, we know of good, and if I say the word good, there are certain images conjure in your mind, analogies, right? Situations that you describe as good and as as beautiful, things that exist in this world in time and place, things that that bring uh, joy to your heart, but we know those things are all soiled in some way or form or fashion, right? We know of a good only in its, in its pieces, in its remnants, right? There's, there are Christians who conceive of the good life that Jesus comes to bring, and, and they say, well, yes, we've tasted little pits and pieces of this good. If we could just enhance that, right, get more of it, right? If we can, uh, can, can grow uh, our love and fellowship of, of common man, then we will know what this good life is. There's other Christians who, who look at, the lie, at what Jesus promises here and we say, yeah, see, things are so bad that, that what the gospel is is Jesus comes and he dies. And he takes away that, 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 that grossness so that we're left with what is good. But you see, the problem with both of those scenarios is that they only know the good of this world. They only know a good of this life. They are, it's like if you were a kid and you had a lollipop and you dropped it onto the ground, right? One side is, is like the, the parent who says, pick it up, eat it, it still tastes good. And you're like, it, it's got like dirt all over the side of it. I don't want that in my mouth. Another side is the parent who, who takes the lollipop and, and they run it under some water. And so you get this watered down sloppy lollipop and he says, uh, it's just like new. Don't buy it. Don't buy it because what Jesus is saying here is that there is a good, a good that is not uh, tainted with the darkness at all, that there is a good, that there is a life that is here and a life that is progressively coming to which our eyes and mind cannot conceive of. Jesus says in verse 17, I lay down my life 
so that I might take it up again. Jesus' coming and, and dying is not the end, but it is a means to the end. It is a means to a life of fullness and grace. It is, as he says in verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, exceedingly, beyond what you have known or, or tasted thus far, that Jesus in his coming, his intention is to bring us to such goodness, such fullness, that we can't conceive of it in our brains. C.S. Lewis, when he reflects on the longing of how we've experienced just bits and, and pieces, tastes of the good that Jesus, God, Jesus has planned for us. He, he says it's like uh, our experience is that the, it's like the, the scent of a flower that we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country that we have never visited that we see bits and pieces of, of the goodness of what God has planned for us trickle down into time and place, ways that we experience it in the here and now, but they are just a sense, an echo, a, a, a news, a tale, not the one that we experience and live. Jesus, in his coming, invites us to respond in the here and now and to put the darkness of this world in, its, in, in his crosshairs. He comes to bring a spirit and a life uh, that no eye has seen or ear has heard or heart of man imagined. But what we experience here and now is just the beginning. We can't conceive of what Jesus means when he says he is the good shepherd. Because we can't conceive of what life will be in its fullness of time. So Jesus makes the claim in this passage that he's the good shepherd. It's a claim that, that is, uh, it can often feel ambiguous at best, right? Cynical at, at worst, we can, can, cynically at worst, we can look at Jesus and, and view him as a, as a con man, right? Or as a, a polite expression, but Jesus, as he comes and he stands in the way of these people and he invites them, uh, as he did the blind man before, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in who I say I am? Because you see, in this text, Jesus is making a claim because he's making an invitation. The invitation that only true goodness can be found in him. That the real true goodness can only be experienced by those who come and walk with him. And he invites us here today as we sit here in these seats, as we go through these upcoming days of singing Christmas carols and, and reading Luke 2, to consider that his coming is not for a, a, a pleasant excuse to get together, but his coming is that those who live in darkness can experience his life. Last summer, uh, I got the opportunity to, to take my, my middle son uh, up to Chicago to uh, the great glory land of Major League Baseball in Wrigley Field. And uh, it was this moment as a father, you, you, you 
uh, await with expectation, right? Because it is this beautiful historic stadium, and you, you picture in your brain that he will always remember and cherish this moment of, of uh, going into the friendly confines there. But while we were there at the stadium, at one point uh, we went to, to the restroom. And I'm sorry, ladies, I have to describe a men's restroom to you. Um, it is uh, basically at a stadium, especially just massive rows, like aisles full of urinals, okay? It's just rows, a maze of urinals on every wall and half wall lined up in, in rows. And, and every uh, urinal is completely filled, right? There's a person, there's a man standing at each one of them. There's this massive line, and, and of course, no one's talking, and everyone's just pushing past one another. And so I have uh, Simon with me as we go to the bathroom, and we, we use the restroom, and, and we um, go, and, and he with up to the sink, and we wash our hands. And I, I turn, and I grab the towel, and I dry them, and, and Simon wasn't there. I turn, and, and, and I start hunting down every maze, every aisleway, looking down the urinals, right, trying to find someone who's about this high, right? I, I look behind uh, every row and aisle, and, and he's not there. He's missing. Your heart starts to race, and, and, and I, I run outside of the door and, and, and look out there. Maybe he went outside the door and, and was standing outside. But as I come, and, and there's just like this stampede of elephants, right, rushing past. And my little Simba is not bouncing in between their legs. I can't find him. I don't know where he is. And so finally I go back into the bathroom, and I, and I, and I lose all uh, shame, right? And I yell out in the loudest voice that I can yell in this crowded bathroom uh, with, you know, 40, 50 men standing in there, Simon, Simon, where are you? And around the corner of the urinal, there pops this little head, his eyes as big as saucers. Shaking as he, he runs to me, right? And as he runs to me and as he finds me, his, his tears open up because it is almost, he was so afraid that he didn't even know how badly he was scared. And I picture us in this text a lot like Simon. A lot like Simon in this big, scary place filled, a land filled with giants feeling desperately alone. Maybe it was 10 seconds, and that's all enough, but it's enough to, for him, for that feeling to be set in that he would never be freed from, from being alone. Being lost, you have that moment where, where we're feeling so desperately alone that you don't know what your dad is willing to do. You don't know the extent that your dad will do to come and find you feeling alone. You can forget the goodness and the excitement of this beautiful morning at the afternoon at the ball game together. Because in that moment of being lost, it all seems trite. And it all seems far away. Because in the moment of fear, you can't comprehend the goodness of being with someone you love. But when he heard my voice, 
when he heard my voice, a voice that he recognized, a voice that he knew, a voice that he trusted with his very life. When he heard my voice, a voice that he knew for sure was for his good. He came out of his hiding corner and he ran to me because it was in me that there was freedom. There was enjoyment. There was life. Today, if you hear the voice of your father calling to you, if today you hear the voice of one who beckons you to to fullness of life, do not run and hide. Do not run and shy away, but run into the arms of the good shepherd. Because you can't fathom just how much he loves you. Pray with me. Father, as we come this morning... Lord, and as, and as we gather over these next several days to consider the coming of your birth, the coming of your life, the coming of your death and your resurrection, the coming that leads us towards the fullness of life and time, Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts to see that it is good. Not good in the trite sense, not good in the false advertisement sense, not good with the list of disclaimers, but that it is pure good. And you are leading us towards life with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.